Welcome to the Sports Medicine Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Dold, orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. Each episode, we'll be interviewing an expert in their respective field and exploring a variety of topics related to sports medicine. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Medicine Podcast. We've got a fantastic episode today focusing on the thrower's shoulder and rehabilitation of the throwing athlete. Uh, This episode features Dr. James Andrews and Dr. Kevin Wilk, a physical therapist based in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Before we get going with uh, Dr. Andrews and Dr. Wilk, we're going to uh, just go through a few housekeeping items here. First of all, this is our fourth episode. We've had a tremendous amount of feedback from the first three episodes, so thanks to everyone for uh, reaching out. If you want to get in contact with us, please do. The email is the sports medicine podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have any ideas for another topic you'd like us to uh, explore in another podcast, please let us know. Also for potential sponsors, if you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, please uh, email us and we'd be happy to talk to you more about that. Um, Also follow us on social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's at the sports medicine podcast. Uh, and send us feedback through there as well. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to give us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. This episode was recorded at Children's Health Andrews Institute for Orthopedics and Sports Medicine based in Plano, Texas. It features Dr. James Andrews and Dr. Kevin Wilk. Um, Dr. Andrews is fairly familiar to to most people in the sports medicine world. He's one of the more recognizable names in sports medicine uh, in the United States and internationally. He was also our guest on the the first episode of the podcast. Uh, Kevin Wilk is a physical therapist. I think he's one of the leading physical therapists in the world today. Uh, He's currently the Associate Clinical Director of Champion Sports Medicine in Birmingham, Alabama. He's also the the Director of Rehabilitative Research at American Sports Medicine Institute in uh, Birmingham alongside Dr. Andrews. Kevin has been uh, a prolific researcher throughout his career. He's published over 170 journal articles, over 115 book chapters. He's uh, lectured internationally, uh, and he's really, really had a distinguished career um, in sports medicine and rehab of throwers. Um, Some of the athletes he's worked on, Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, Charles Barkley, Derek Jeter, Drew Brees, Roger Clemens, uh, and the list goes on from there. But uh, he's just, he's really, really an awesome guy. And honestly, I think he knows more about the throwing athlete than most people. Uh, He's extremely knowledgeable and his approach to rehab, I think, is revolutionary. So before we get going with Dr. Andrews and Dr. Wilk, I just want to cover a couple of the terms that we talk about in this podcast episode. So one of the areas that we really focus on uh, in this episode is the slap tear, S-L-A-P, which stands for superior labrum anterior to posterior. This is a very, very common source of pathology and symptomatology in throwers, mainly because the long head of biceps tendon attaches to this superior most aspect of the glenoid labrum, and it be- can become injured in a throwing athlete. One of the other reasons why it's a particularly interesting topic uh, to discuss is because we don't really have a great way of dealing with these tears, uh, especially in throwers, which makes it a very, very difficult problem for us to treat. As you'll hear Dr. Andrews talk in this episode, operating on a young athlete or a young pitcher with a slap tear, he considers the kiss of death. And I think that's very interesting to hear coming from him because he probably knows more about doing surgery on these athletes than anyone else on, on in the world. And I think if he describes uh, doing surgery on these young athletes as a kiss of death, it really brings into focus the rehabilitative side of these injuries and um, how we can focus on rehabbing these athletes rather than just taking them to the OR. So that's it for me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Dr. Andrews probably knows more about slap tears uh, and the evolution of how we manage these tears than I think anyone else on earth. So it really, really is a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, What Kevin has to offer us from a physical therapy standpoint is also remarkable. So follow us on social media, send us your feedback, and uh, enjoy the episode. Thanks a lot. This episode is brought to you by Trumo BCT, formerly known as Harvest Technologies. They're a global leader in blood component therapeutic apheresis, cellular, and autologous biologic technologies. They believe in the potential of cells to do even more for patients than they do today. 
As innovators for over 40 years in cell separation, Trumo BCT is committed to providing autologous biologic technologies that deliver consistently reproducible results that clinicians and healthcare organizations can trust. So check out the Harvest system for PRP and BMAC. Uh, I've personally used them both. I think they're a great system and produce a great product. So check them out. So we're back here. uh, Another episode of the Sports Medicine Podcast. I've got two pretty big hitters here in the throwing athlete world. To my left is Dr. James Andrews. Dr. Andrews has been on the podcast before. And in front of me is uh, Dr. Kevin Wilk. Uh, I think everyone's familiar with Dr. Andrews because he's been here with us. Dr. Will, Kevin, give us a little intro of yourself. Physical therapist. I've worked with Dr. Andrews for the last 30 years. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama at Champion Sports Medicine. So I would say that that Kevin is about the James Andrews of physical therapy. Is that fair, Doc? Of sports medicine. Sports medicine. (laughs) Uh, He's the reason that uh, my patients do so well. And uh, you'll hear more about why I say that as you listen to him tonight. But he's... he's, uh, He's really the guy when it comes to rehabbing athletes. Yeah, I agree. So, I I mean, if you just Google rehabilitation of the throwing athlete, about the first 10 articles that come up on Google have Kevin's name in front of them. He's been working in pro baseball for about 30 years. Some of the athletes here he's performed rehab on, Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, Charles Barkley, Jerry, Derek Jeter, Roger Clemens, Drew Brees, Scotty Pippen, and Eli Manning. So certainly no stranger to um, professional athletes in rehab. So today's topic is rehab of the throwing athlete. Um, We're going to talk about slap tears of the shoulder. And then I want to talk a little bit about UCL injuries in the elbow. So first of all, slap tears. We got Doc here. Where, Where would you say we are young athletes, throwers, overhead athletes that present with a slap tear? Well, I can tell you that uh, we have a long ways to go to be specific about how to treat slap tears and throwers. The big thing about slap tears, particularly in the mature throwers, is that it's a normal wear and tear phenomenon. So you don't know really when to start taking them serious when they have slap tears. So that means that you have to be extremely conservative when you make a diagnosis of a slap tear on an MRI and a thrower to make sure that it's clinically significant. And that's where Kevin comes in because uh, the, the rule that I have when, we, when it comes to the throwing shoulder, particularly when we look at slap tears, is that the last thing you want to have to your throwing shoulder is an operation. Right. So they have to have failure of conservative treatment, which is where Kevin again comes in, and I'm sure he can talk to you about that, before we give up on conservative treatment and start operating on slap tears. Because as much as we've learned about slap tears, I mean, you know, I first talked about slap tears, gosh, 1980, when I first started scoping the baseball shoulder. And since then... We've sort of been in a circle of, of, of decision-making about how to treat it. A lot of the decision-making has come back to what we first did. Uh, don't operate on them unless you have to. So there's a lot to be learned about slap tears, and when we do operate on slap tears, our results are still not up in the 90% where you would want them to, to say that operating on a slap tear is a good operation. Right. So just, just on that note then, because... I mean, we're going to struggle to find anyone who knows more about the slap tear than than you. Diagnosis of the slap tear is the clinical exam as more or less important than the MR or the arthrogram. Well, for me, uh, when you talk about a throwing athlete, the clinical exam, the the clinical history, is more important than anything else you do. And so, for those out there that are taking care of overhead throwing athletes, you need to sit down prop your feet up and let the baseball player, the thrower, tell you his history and listen to him carefully. Because most of the time, he'll tell you what the diagnosis is. And by the time you get through listening to the patient, you'll know what the diagnosis is. Then you go to your clinical exam to confirm it. Now, the MRI is a, is a, can be as good and bad. 
Uh, we always say that if you want an uh, excuse to operate on a throwing shoulder, get an MRI because the pathology that you see in the throwing shoulder is, is so prevalent, even now in young high school kids. So you can't go on the pathology seen on an MRI to make a, a diagnosis and to decide, particularly surgical treatment. Again, we say that if you want a reason to operate on a throwing shoulder, get an MRI. But, so the MRI will help con confirm your diagnosis, but it's not the mainstay of your clinical diagnosis. Right. So what sort of what sort of things are you asking on the clinical history? What what are and what are the more concerning things that are going to maybe push you towards thinking about surgery in a thrower? Well, if you look over behind you, there's a, 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 a blackboard. Blackboard on the wall, and I have one in each of my examining rooms. And to get the history down, we start if it's say it's a 21 year old college baseball pitcher. We, we go all the way back to when he first started throwing. A lot of them start pitching when they were five, six, seven years of age. And we have them right on the blackboard, all of their different steps that they went through. And when did they first have pain? How many, how many innings did they pitch in their eighth grade year, in the ninth grade year? And we go through all of that and put it on the blackboard so we can all see it. And we take them all the way through their pitching history, which is extensive in most cases. And that helps us to decide how much wear and tear would you expect on this throwing shoulder when this, at, with this kid being age 21. And from there, I, I test them a little bit with different questions that I like to ask. And one of the things we forget to do is when's the last time you threw off the mound? How many pitches did you throw last year during your spring baseball season? What happened precisely when you first noticed shoulder pain? What were you doing? Were you in a game? Were you throwing long toss? Were you throwing weighted balls? Uh, were you at a showcase? We know the risk factors, and we go through all those risk factors with them and try to find out where they got hurt. A lot of times they don't quite remember, but if you plug in a few little for specific questions, you'll usually get the right answers and you'll be able to figure out what happened. Uh, did, were they throwing a fastball? Were they throwing a curveball? Were they practicing a new pitch with a new pitching coach, trying to learn how to throw a slider, for example? Yeah, I was throwing a slider, and they had me throwing off the mound, and I threw 30 sliders in a row, and my shoulder started hurting me. And then specifically, where does it hurt? Because all of those questions help lead you in the history as to what really happened and how significant it is. And are you, is, is loss of velocity, is that a common theme that you're seeing amongst these pitchers? That's usually the first thing they tell you. They'll tell you that I was throwing my general velocity, and they all exaggerate a little bit, by the way. <laughs> they say I'm 88, 92. They're really 82, 86. Sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I touched 92 or something like that. And when I when my shoulder started hurting, I noticed my velocity went down to 77, and I wasn't effective. And it's been a velocity change for me ever since. And I have not been effective in being able to pitch at a competitive level. So velocity is is a they seem to know more about their velocity than they do with their placement of the baseball. <laughs> the accuracy, but the accuracy comes in too. But velocity is the big thing they talk about. You sure. know, velocity is the number one deal with parents, young kids, all the way up through major leagues. Velocity is the name of the game nowadays. Right. And by the way, velocity has a lot to do with injury patterns. Yeah. And this is, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit in our first episode, but throwing injuries and you know, injuries in the young throwers becoming an epidemic in this country. There's no question about that. We, uh, we first noticed that in about year 2000, and I was probably told you this before, but I have five examining rooms in my clinic, and on Monday morning I'm seeing new patients in all five examining rooms starting right away with five rooms. And all of a sudden I was going from one room to the next to the next to the next, and all of a sudden, I was seeing 14 to 15, 16-year-old young baseball players in filling up those rooms with 
adult-type baseball injuries, which hadn't been the case before. So I said, man, what's going on here? So we started tracking those injuries in those, in those age groups. And since, since year 2000, our research with that at the ASMI has shown that we've had an 8 to 10-fold increase in youth sports pitching injuries since year 2000. So when you talk about 8 to 10-fold increase, we've called that an epidemic in youth throwing injuries. Right. And that's really what's happened. And it, it, hadn't, it hadn't slowed down yet. Right. As much as we've done about it, we're still so, beating our head against the wall. So I think as well why this is an interesting topic, and it's a good one for an episode here, is so just to take a step back, the slap, superior labrum, anterior to posterior, it's the uppermost part of the labrum in the shoulder where the long head of the biceps tendon comes in and it attaches. And this is a this is a problem area for throwers and overhead athletes. And the reason why it generates such such an amount of debate is we we really don't have a good answer to these tears, especially in throwers. Uh, and the pendulum's sort of gone three sixty a little bit. It's or one I guess we've come three sixty in that initially we used to fix these. And then we used to think that doing a tenodesis might be the, the, the better way to deal it, with it. So that's cutting the biceps tendon and then reattaching it to some point in the shoulder. But, I mean, whenever you open up AJSM or one of these journals these days, you're reading about some sort of a cohort of pitchers where the results are mediocre at best. Let's just say that. Whether or not you're doing a repair, a tenotomy, a tenodesis, these, these patients just don't seem to do very well. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you're you're seeing results anywhere from thirty percent successful to right. maybe maybe with a stretch up to around eighty percent successful. Yeah, I I mean there was a recent paper. It's been in a couple of months. I'll try and find it. Posted in the uh, description of this this episode. But this was slap repairs in professional baseball players and the return to pitch again. And I I don't think you needed to pitch very many years or even innings. Maybe just a couple of innings was something, I think it was in the 60, 60% area, maybe. Mm-hmm. So not even not even two-thirds of these players are coming back to even throw another ball again in the major leagues. So very, very average results of trying to repair these, these, these tears. So it's certainly a difficult diagnosis to deal with. There's no question, and that's what we're struggling with. What, what's the best thing to do? And my thinking right now is, if you can rehab them and get them back, then you're better off not operating on them. Right. So and actually, we you talk about how we went in, in, in circles. When I first started scoping the, the throwing shoulder, the first thing I recognized was the slap tear, and I call it biceps tendon labrum complex tears because the biceps tendon pulls on the superior labrum during deceleration up to one times body weight. It also peels it off when you go back into external rotation. So there's a tremendous stress there. Yeah. But then, as we we didn't we didn't have any way to fix that back in the 80s, so we debrided the slap tear and cleaned it up, and we got results that were up in the 85 percent, believe wow. it or not. But we were operating on real mature, talented baseball players. In those days, we weren't operating on the young high school kids. So when we added that younger age group to our results, the, the results went way down. Some yeah, people down. say, well, it, it's easier to get back a high school kid with an injury than it is a major league pitcher. That's not true. Uh, really? If they break down at, at such an early age in high school, for sure, yeah, uh, they're not going to really be good baseball pitchers. They don't have the right genetics. The other thing I would mention to you that came along about then was it was the slap lesion an adaptive change to allow good external rotation and to allow a pitcher to throw with a high velocity. So was it a normal phenomenon that we were trying to put back and fix? That's why debridement and just cleaning it up seemed to have better results. Then we got into the be able to sew it down and fix it. And the problem with fixing it with anchors and sutures is that it doesn't have a very good blood supply, so there wasn't a good healing response. Hard to heal. So what yeah. we do then? We went back to debriding it. We actually went back to not operating on it unless we actually absolutely had to. Right. 
So this sort of brings us to, to Kevin here, and this is this is rehabilitation of the throwing athlete. So first of all, Doc, you, you obviously think that there is a rehab potential in these these patients. There's no question. That's so, that's what you have to do first. So if you have a slap tear and you're a thrower, true or false, you absolutely need an operation. False. Okay. So there is a rehab component. Here, here's the problem. Young kid gets a sore shoulder pitching as a junior in high school during spring training. Uh, he's got a, 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 he sees a sports medicine physician. They do an MRI and he's got a slap tear. And they schedule him for surgery within a week or two. That's a, a, a kiss of death, yeah. usually. So you just can't do that. Right. You got to rehab them. To kind of put this in perspective, Andrew, is uh, we did an MRI study with one of the pro baseball teams. Uh, reported spring training, all asymptomatic pitchers, almost 90% had some type of labral tear. So and that's that's so important, right? This is for parents out there. Asymptomatic baseball players, you get MRIs of their shoulders, 90% of them have a slap tear. But obviously 90% of them are not getting surgery. Absolutely. Right. And one of the problems is it's a slap with maybe cuff right. in the major league pitcher, hopefully not with the high school kid. To put this, uh, another one in perspective, Brian Cole, who we've had on the show, yeah. he did a study on the Chicago Bulls, MRIs of their knees, 14 knees, or 14 players, 28 knees, one knee was normal on yeah. MRI. Yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah. it's just, it's as Dr. Andrews mentioned, it's an adaptation, it's wear and tear, and you have to do a careful clinical examination by a physician, and then... So this is, this is interesting to me as well, and I think it's interesting to a lot of cl- clinicians, and this is why the slap tear uh, perplexes us so much, but it's about figuring out which ones need surgery and which ones you can rehabilitate without surgery. It's not just, oh, you have a slap tear, you need an operation to fix your slap tear. As Doc describes it, that's a kiss of death for a young thrower. So what are we doing to try and delineate these patients? saying this guy absolutely needs an operation versus this guy who has the exact same pathology on an MR can be rehabbed. Well, I think, you know, there's some pitchers that have horrible slaps and you would predict that they wouldn't do very well. And because they have such great neuromuscular control, such great mechanics and have the art of pitching, they do well, do very well. And it lasted several years to say the least. Whereas maybe a high school kid or college who really hasn't perfected pitching, they're a thrower. Right. And they have maybe shaky mechanics at best. They have some discomfort, can't find the right arm slot. They have more of a problem. So I suppose that's a cue for you then who can come in and maybe can you teach proper dynamics? Can you teach proper technique to be able to compensate for maybe a functional or structural problem where you've got this slap tear, but your dynamics or pitching dynamics are not up to grade and we take a step back and say right let's get in the gym let's rehab you let's improve your shoulder control and so on to be able to throw with this structural problem and it's multifaceted so we look at range of motion inflexibility in certain areas try to address that scapular control rotator cuff strength dynamic control of your humeral head so you can you can stabilize your core your legs it's from top to bottom like in a kid, a lot of times they're weak in their core, they're weak in their hips, posterior chain, especially on their drive leg. So if they drop on their drive leg, they open up more stress on the shoulder. So not only are you addressing the mechanics of the shoulder, but the entire kinetic chain and looking for any deficiencies. A lot of times Dr. Andrews and I will talk and he'll say, well, how are you doing with this guy, this kid? And I'll say, you know, he's okay. It's a little slow to progress versus another person where just great dynamic control you know right off the bat that they got a really good shot at getting well they know where their body is in space they can control it there's one word that would describe who's going to be successful as a baseball pitcher with an injury and that's genetics right so i mean i sometimes it's hard to tell this to parents because they're obviously so concerned about their children but i almost describe this injury sometimes with guys that i'm talking to like like you two as a survival of the fittest it's who can get through who can make it through high school baseball college ball and into the big leagues by just escaping injury and it's as you said it's genetics let let me uh, give you some statistics about a study we did up in birmingham uh, a year or so ago for parents 
we looked at the kids that we uh, operated on for the throwing shoulder with a slap tear, basically. And the grades ninth and 10th versus the ones that we operated on in the 11th and 12th grade. And that younger group compared to the older group, 10th and uh, 11th and 12th graders, there was a five times increased chance of the older group getting a college scholarship compared to that younger group. Uh, so getting having a, a, a surgical procedure when you're in a young thrower is certainly not a good thing to have sure. to go through. They get hurt early on like that. They're not the survival of the fittest. Yeah. But there was a five times greater chance of them going to college if you – if they broke down later on in high school, and that's a that's just a th- tough thing for parents. It's a tough yeah, thing they for don't the kids understand to explain, that. right? You're so, just you're some, almost just not going to make it. Some of it, you know, is genetics, obviously, but some of it is your environment as well. So if you get in with a good coach that addresses this early, yeah, kind of nurtures you, builds you up gradually, uh, that can correct some of the genetics. I think, at least in my personal opinion. But you're right. If you can't withstand the pounding. It's just like you know being a football player and lifting. If you can't withstand it, you're probably not going to do well. But a lot has to do not only with the genotype but the phenotype as right. well, your right. environment. So take us through this. Like you guys obviously have probably one of the world leading institutions here for for throwers. But let's say a 16, 17 year old presents to you with a slap, and you know Doc is saying that surgery and this type of an athlete or a, 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 an athlete of this age might be the kiss of death. Where are you starting in terms of their rehab? Yeah, I'll look at range of motion, see if they have any deficiencies. You know, a lot of people have talked about this GERD phenomena, loss of internal rotation. Yeah. We'll look at total arc of motion. So we look at internal and external added together, looking at the total sum. We think that's more important than just looking at one number, but looking at composite as well as cross body motion and elevation. Look at scapular control, rotator cuff strength. I'll look at the core of the body, do a quick screening as far as a single leg squat. Can they plank? Um, you know, most of the high school kids I see, they can't hold a plank longer than 30, 40 seconds. Right. It's, it's a little embarrassing. Yeah. Um, and then from there, we'll, uh, just as Dr. Andrews mentioned, we'll take a look at how do you throw, what pitches are you having trouble with, try to dissect it out. So once we do rehab you and we go to plyometrics and more advanced types of strengthening drills, we'll see if we can kind of tweak your pitches, so so to speak, so we can get you through the season. Also, do you play another sport? Are you a quarterback? Uh, you play another position? Nowadays, these pitchers, they just specialize, and they're just pitch. They don't play another position. They don't hit. Yeah. I mean, even young kids don't hit anymore. And we talked about this in our first episode, Doc and I, just the the specialization of sports that's happening. It's not really producing athletes. It's producing one trick ponies a little bit that might not be as well suited as you would think for, for, for life in sports. So, yeah. And the point is if you break down as a pitcher, where do you go? Right. You're done. You're yeah. Done you can't at 14, do anything else, 15. I guess. Yeah. You can't play short because you don't know how you can't hit because you haven't hit in three years. It's, so it's not really a good scenario. In, in my opinion, right. you listen to a guy like John Smoltz, who was Dr. Andrews patient, now he's like a professional golfer almost. <laughs> Just about. He's unbelievable. But he, you know, he announces on the Little League World Series, and he says on TV. Played four sports in high school. He's really? Played, uh, he was ho- played hockey in college. Too. You operated on him, didn't you? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but John says in the World Series, you know, for the kids listening, play a position, play another sport. Right. Don't pitch all year. Be a better athlete. And, and I think the parents should take that to heart. Yeah. Here's the uh, when Kevin talks about how he approaches one with rehab, the big problem we have is getting the parents to buy in to rehab because they want a quick fix. They're they're coming to see the orthopedic surgeon to get operated on, and so you have to discuss it with them. Well, and you'll say, well, you know, you need to, to really get into to baseball rehab. Well, they say, well, we've been doing rehab. Well, what have you been doing? Well, we've been we went for two weeks and we've been doing the bands and, and they don't understand what real rehab is. And, and so you've got a selling point to get them to even get into rehab that they need to get into. And you can tell them it's going to take six months. So we just, we, we, we just have a terrible time trying to get them to follow the course that they need to follow, which is usually a more conservative course because they think they've already done everything. 
and you and you question about their rehab, they really hadn't done any rehab to, to speak of. So uh, Kevin's got a, his work cut out for him with most of the, particularly the parents. Right. And, you know, with slap repairs, you know, one of the biggest issues is postoperatively a stiffness. So a lot of physicians fix the slap. Uh, they don't do much rehab in the first four to six weeks. The individual gets a little bit tight. It's hard to get that motion back, but also it's hard to get the end range elasticity. So it's sort of like a rubber band. When you go to throw, you got to be able to get that stretch shortening, right? that plyometric type contraction. So when you get tight, you can't get that stretch shortening. You can't get that almost that elastic, whip, yeah. that whip, exactly. Right. And the number one thing that pitchers say to us is, I feel tight. And I might say, well, your range is pretty good. Yeah, but it just feels tight at end range. Right. So it's important to get them moving right away without obviously overly stressing the repair site, but getting their motion back and their end range elasticity. Good. So that sort of, I mean, we wanted to talk about rehab in the throwing athlete, and that involves shoulder and elbow injuries. But I, I mean, we've got so much to talk to here, talk about here in the shoulder. I think we should probably just stick to the shoulder and we'll arrange to do this again. Maybe focus on the elbow and UCL Tommy John t- stuff type stuff. Uh, at a later date, but let's move on to that now because that's sort of like another topic. We know that there's a rehabilitation role in slap tears and avoiding surgery, but some specific stock in surgery. What if what has changed in the last 30 years? You said that you were first debriding these tears with fairly good success, maybe not in young athletes, but in professional baseball players. Then I suppose came along more advances in arthroscopy techniques that let you use anchors to try and fix the tear. Give us a little bit of the history and what you've seen in the last 30 years on how this has evolved. Well, certainly uh, the technique to to restore the normal anatomy has, has really been what we thought was going to be the answer to slap tears. And then we found out that when we actually restored normal anatomy, they didn't actually improve our results. In fact, our results probably went backwards a little bit. So then we got to thinking, well, maybe if we take the biceps tendon away and it doesn't pull on the, on the labrum, then maybe we can get a better result. So then we had the, the uh, biceps people that were really into removing the biceps, and we call them biceps killers. Yeah. And they were just releasing the biceps in some cases. And then we got into the point of where we could do a tenodesis with the biceps down in the humerus and take it off the, the labrum. And those results have not been great. Those results are still coming out, by the way. And so the enthusiasm for doing a biceps tenodesis uh, has wax, waxed and waned a little bit, and we're not quite sure when to do that. Basically, I'm doing a biceps tenodesis when I've had a failure of a biceps debridement or a biceps repair, and it's a second go-round, or if it's a third go-round, I'll, I'll take the biceps off and tenodes it. The big problem we, we're working on now in the, in the research lab is trying to figure out what does the biceps tendon do functionally in the shoulder joint in a thrower. And what was happening was the biceps was being tenodesed and, and removed in young throwers, and we don't have any idea how that will affect their, their throwing shoulder down the road as they mature. So we were putting the horse before the cart. We didn't have enough research to really know, and there's still no consensus as to the function of the biceps across the shoulder joint in a thrower. Right. For me, I think it has a function. I don't think the good Lord would, would have put it there in such an intricate fashion if it wasn't put there for a purpose. And, it, and the purpose, in my mind, is that it helps. It's a, it's a primary stabilizer for the glenohumeral joint to throw a baseball. So if we take it away in a young thrower, what's going to be the result of that four years later? So we, we just have a lot that we need to learn. We're all working on that research now to try to really prove what the biceps tendon does. Some people say it doesn't do anything. Right. Uh, so the studies are still out there. We're still we're working on it in our lab in Birmingham and in Pensacola, trying to decide what is the real function of the biceps tendon in a thrower. So we'll know when we can take it and 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 kill it, or when we need to try to repair it. So I just finished watching a. It was some sort of a pe- presentation by Buddy Savoie, um, who's obviously a huge 
upper extremity guy out of Tulane um, presenting some results, maybe his results on tenodesis of the biceps in pitchers with slap tears and just saying this is basically his conclusion was that this is not the answer. A tenodesis in a thrower uh, is is not a good way to deal with a slap tear. And I think that's sort of reiterating what you're you're saying and telling us here. We've we've had some results when that was the last thing to do, and we were able to take it off. Now, the, I'll tell you, uh, when it has worked for us, and we're working on that to try to find out why, it's worked on the female softball pitchers, the windmill pitchers. Really? They put tremendous stress when they come through on the biceps or groove with the biceps tendon. They rupture the biceps tendon throwing a, soft, uh, a softball with a windmill pitch. And and we've been aggressive to do biceps tendesis on windmill softball pitchers. Uh, but it has not been the same thing in, in the overhead baseball player. Sure. I think one of the anecdotes that goes around the sports medicine world to do with this has to do with John Elway. And I'm sure you've heard, you guys have both heard this, but I guess – John Elway was the quarterback in Denver a few years ago and was having shoulder pain for a season that was, you know, impairing his ability to throw the football, but went back for a long pass, felt a pop in his shoulder, and it was the biceps tendon releasing from the superior area of the labrum there. And apparently, as the story goes, I could have it wrong, but no more shoulder pain after that. Yeah, but probably he had degeneration in the biceps tendon within the groove where it rubs across the top of the humerus. It wasn't the fact that he released the attachment the to, slap. The, to a slap. It was the problem that it tore so, from more degeneration. Pain and I can than... tell you, uh, I, I had a famous quarterback too, probably one of the best ever, that had calcification in the groove and biceps tendinosis and could not throw. And he went he tried to do John Elway's deal. He went back and started throwing and hitting a sledgehammer at his farm, <laughs> trying to get it to rupture because we had six weeks for him to I make a return. I think you might have told me this one before, yeah. And uh, he couldn't get it to rupture, so I d- took him in. It was painful in the groove, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a slap per se. Right. And I went in under local and released his biceps tendon and let it, let it fly. Yeah. I didn't teen a decent. We didn't have time to teen a decent because he was – starting a contract, making a return, almost got to the Super Bowl, but it alleviated all of his shoulder pain. So there's many different reasons why the biceps tendon hurts, but when you talk about it hurting at the slap area, that that's not what either one of those throwers really had. Sure, so a little bit of misconception yeah, there maybe. Yeah. You're also talking about a quarterback and d- different ball game than a, than a, than a pitcher. We're talking about two guys with very high pain tolerance, too. Sure. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and a lot of talent. So specifics here. Just what are you doing right now for your slap repairs? How are you doing it? Well, I'm. Uh, if, if they fail conservative treatment and we go in six-week intervals with Kevin to watch them to see if they're responding, and if they go through all that, interval throwing program and they still can't throw and, and they have a failure of conservative treatment, we'll go ahead and, and operate on them. And we, we go in and, and identify the pathology. And if it's certain slap pathology where the biceps tendon insertion is involved, where it's torn up into it like a bucket handle tear of a slap or, or type 4 slap that tears up into the biceps, we'll do a, a lot of times do a primary tenodesis. If it's a general, like 90% of them are type 2 slaps where it's just peeled up, we'll either debride it if it's degenerated, and if we got time to get, if we're really trying to get them back, say, as a free agent, we don't have a lot of time, we just debride them and clean them up again and, and then take them back to rehab. If it's a young thrower and they're peeled up, we will usually try to repair it. Uh, but the problem with repairing it is you've got to get it to heal. And that takes about four months, and we'll actually sew it back down. Uh, Technical just aspects here for the orthopedic surgeons that are listening. What are you are you tying knots? What kind of anchors are you using? What do you what what what's your repair technique? We're we're not we're using knotless anchors. Okay. I went to to pure knotless anchors about three years ago, and so like a push lock type anchor. Yeah. yeah. 
they're, they're all two, different brands of that. Sure. 2.4 millimeter, 2.9. Yeah, either one. Depends on the size of the athlete. Biocomposite? Most of the time it's biocomposite. You can use plastic ones too. It doesn't matter. Okay. But we use knotless anchors. And what we were having trouble with with the, with the tying knots was the length of time it took you to do the procedure. By the way, it takes you about one-third the operating time to put knotless anchors in compared to tying knots. One-third of the total operating time less. Why is that important? Well, just getting it done. Yeah. Speed is important in the shoulder. Sure. Because you swell up and get a big swollen shoulder, and it makes it more and more difficult to get the procedure done. But we had trouble with those knots primarily because they caused abrasion on the undersurface of the rotator cuff and on the humeral head and actually eroded the rotator cuff and the, and the articular cartilage. If you had the knots, it one slid over in the back and head, and you can't get them always in a perfect position. So we had trouble with, and we're just not doing knots in the in the shoulder yeah. joint anymore. Are you using uh, a braided suture, or are you using a tape now? We we're, we've just switched over to tape. I'm not Label sure tape. that the tape makes any real difference for me. But that seems to be the new thing on the block is using tape. Right. Yeah, I've switched to that as well. Um, now, you, you mentioned this earlier, so I want to ask you, but this whole thing about restoring anatomy. Now, we know that the long-headed biceps has more of a posterior position in the superior labrum. Are you paying any particular attention to what side of the tendon you put your anchors? Well, a lot of my uh, baseball friends that are involved in the throwing shoulder surgically will tell you that you should not anchor the, the labrum in anterior Anterly. to the biceps tendon. Right. Now for me, if they're if they have a, a, a loose jointed exam, looser than you would expect, they have anterior shoulder pain and you get in there and the anterior superior labrum is detached and degenerated, I've been sewing it back down. I don't talk about it because I know I'm going against the grain, but I, I just can't leave it like that in those cases. And I'll usually put two anchors right there and fix it in, in front, front of it. But I don't try to strangulate the biceps anchor itself, and then I'll, then I'll fix the back of it. Right. Um, I don't usually put anchors in the posterior labrum in a thrower unless it's something with the batting shoulder or this, that, and the other with a real posterior subluxation. But you got to realize the, the shoulder, when you externally rotate the throw, the humeral head has to translate posteriorly. And so it wears on the posterior labrum. So when I have that phenomenon, I clean it up, try not to put anchors at the equator and, and down below posteriorly. Because if you do, and you do more than just anatomically put it back, you'll block their external rotation and the translation, and it can't throw. Right. So it's tricky what you do when you get in there. Uh, by the way, less is probably better than more. Right. So now they've had a they've had a slap repair, or a young throwers had a slap repair, and they're on to Kevin. Take us through sort of the first six months. First of all, getting them in there. What when do you start rehab? And so, I know the answer is going to be early, but but no, that's not the answer. Not the answer. <laughs> no. The answer is the next day. So the uh, next day. Yeah. So so, so very at our early. place. Yeah, very early. Yeah. So at our place, you know what I need to know from Dr. Andrews is how many anchors, where were the anchors put, and and the biggest thing too is what's the integrity of the rotator cuff. Right. So how much wear and tear, especially in a more mature thrower. So this is this is remarkable for me as well here. And for all the physical therapists that are listening to this, you've got a physical therapist here who actually wants to know some of the specifics of the surgery, so much so that he wants to know where the actual anchors were placed along the glenoid rim. That's impressive. I want him in the viewing room watching the surgery if he's, so he's actually, all available. So how, do you actually go and watch the procedure, Kevin? Yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah sometimes you know, time doesn't permit, obviously, yeah. but he'll call. I mean, you know, a guy like Dr. Andrews, you know, he's the epitome of team approach to, of to course, treatment. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't used fantastic. to that before. And to get a phone call and say, hey, run up here, let me show you what you're going to deal with tomorrow is invaluable. I mean, I yeah. can get op reports, but the op report isn't anywhere near what the information I need. So this is the best of the best as far as team approach. Yeah. You know, this guy right next to me. Make sure you, when as a surgeon, make sure you give the patient 
your photographs that you took in the operating room, the copies of that, and if the patient's not reliable, she would try to get the patient to give it to the therapist the next day, but if he won't do it, you make sure you give it to him yourself because those pictures are worth a thousand words so he can actually see what we did. By the way, we talked a lot about the labrum, but the rotator, the status of the rotator cuff is still maybe the biggest thing surgically as to the outcome of that particular shoulder. And if they have a good rotator cuff, they got a lot better outcome than if you've got internal impingement with erosion into the cuff and a slap tear. Right, because I think that's where the pain's coming from predominantly is, is the rotator cuff. So, you know, to answer your question before is we think of it in blocks of time, as, as you alluded to, the first six to eight weeks is motion, low-level type of strengthening, which is really more neuromuscular activation. Work on some of your deficiencies like your scapula, your legs, your hip. We move you, but we move you easy in that first four to six weeks. But there's milestones. Then from eight weeks to 16 is more of the strengthening. And now is the time to get in shape, maybe the best shape you've been in. And then from 16 weeks, you start your plyometrics, two-hand drills to one-hand drills, and you start interval throwing program somewhere around five months. Uh, but that's 45 feet just tossing. And then around six months, you do a little bit more. And it generally, we did a study in, in Birmingham. It takes you about nine and a half months to play a position, 12 months to get back on the mile competitively. So when are you letting these guys actually throw a ball hard again after a repair? Well, it depends. It depends on how well they did in their rehab, what their range is, their strength, how they progress in the plyos. To the listeners, one of the biggest things that I can say about this, and, and Dr. Andrews has taught me this, is that you can't start throwing without doing plyometrics. That's our big transition, and that's been our big transition for 25 years. Right. So everybody's big on the dumbbells, but the dumbbells are moving so slow, and it's not really functional planes of motion. You've got to do some weighted ball, and I don't mean weighted baseball. I mean the plyometric balls into a trampoline. So we want you moving ballistically. We want your shoulder getting used to the throwing mechanics. We want you to be able to absorb those stresses, and by absorbing those stresses, Throwing a baseball almost becomes anticlimactic at 45 feet. If I have somebody who has a problem throwing at 45, 60 feet after this, I've got to look at their mechanics. We've got to break the mechanics down. We've got to do some video, show frame by frame, and see what's going on. Something's not right. Because if we rehabbed you for five months and we did everything right, throwing shouldn't be a problem in the beginning. The right. one thing Kevin hadn't mentioned, he, he touched on it, when you talk about sports – in general, particularly young sports, in all sports, uh, poor mechanics is still the number one problem. So we are real heavy in both in Birmingham and in Pensacola in our throwing lab where we take these kids when they get to a certain point where they can really throw off the mound and we put them in our throwing lab and we analyze them so we can show them exactly what they're doing wrong from from a throwing mechanics standpoint. The problem is then we got to have a, a pitching coach that knows how to correct their mechanics. So right. you got all of this going together, and the parents that bring their kids back and put them in the lab and, and analyze them are really doing the best thing they can to try to make sure these kids come back and are healthy. And for the physical therapists and the trainers, the plyometrics into the rebounder gives you an idea what their mechanics look like. So you know if those mechanics don't look good when they start throwing, you've got to keep a closer eye on them. Not everyone has a biomechanics lab. We're really fortunate, you know, in Pensacola, right. here, in, here in Dallas or in Frisco and in Birmingham. But what the clinician can do is apps. And there's apps like Coach My Video where you can use your phone sure. or an iPad. Because if the kid can't recognize what they're doing wrong, they can't make the correction. It's like correcting your golf swing. Of course, yeah. So, I mean, that's that for all the physical therapists, that's absolutely huge. If you are seeing a throwing athlete who's coming off a slap tear and you're actually not incorporating plyometrics and actually the mechanics of throwing something overhead, you're just in the gym rather doing weights, you've really missed the ball here. Totally, totally agree. And so many times we see kids and you know their mechanics aren't right and you, you just cringe, especially when they're running out of visits. They right. don't come back, and you're like, 
I know this individual is going to have a problem. And it kind of breaks your heart a little bit because you know that they're going to be back in the physician's office once they start playing ball again. You have to do a lot of free treatment, don't you, Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and also, you know, educate them at home and try to hook them up with somebody, maybe a personal trainer or coach in the community. But, you know, you, you have to kind of work your resources in the community quite a bit. Right. This has been awesome. It's probably generated more questions for the listeners than anything. So we're probably going to have to do this again. We'll get these two back. We're going to talk about the elbow a little bit as well. Tommy John surgery, UCL, uh, and and uh, coming back from those injuries. Because I think that might even be more of an epidemic than the shoulder. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah Doc? Absolutely. Absolutely. Elbow injuries more prevalent these days than shoulder injuries in throwers? Or about the same? I, you know, when I walk in the examining room and it's an elbow, I'm relieved that it's not a shoulder. And I think we're probably seeing more elbows than shoulders. Uh, and certainly we're operating on more elbows than shoulders. Yeah, Major League Baseball data, uh, days on the DL, from 07 to today, it's 2-1 to one elbow days to shoulder. Before that, it was 2-1 to one sh- shoulder to elbow. It f- has flip-flopped. Wow. Why? I'll let Dr. Andrews answer that. I think the, the recognition of the elbow injuries is so much better, so we're, we're picking them up earlier, and we know that, that that's a good operation. We can fix it, so we're more aggressive to operate on it. Really? So unlike the shoulder, which might be the kiss of death, if you can pick up an elbow injury early and get to it, you've got more of a chance. Absolutely. Okay, good. So that just sort of will lead us into this next topic that we might try to talk about in elbow injuries, rehabbing elbow injuries. Uh, if you have any questions about our talk today in the shoulder, send them along to us, and we'll try and get these two to answer them next time we meet. Uh, Doc, Kevin, thanks for doing this. Hopefully we can do this again. Thank My you. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Follow Kevin Wilk on Instagram if you want some ideas of exercises he's doing with his throwers. Uh, really informative stuff there. Uh, I'll have the links in the uh, description below. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Sports Medicine Podcast. If you'd like to stay updated on future podcast episodes, please follow us on Instagram at the Sports Medicine Podcast. Like and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. A special thanks to our sponsors, Taruma BCT and Star Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. This episode was edited by me, Victoria Wickham, and produced by Josh Jones. See you next time on the Sports Medicine Podcast.